the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Uh, we get on the air because of the engineering skills of Pete Paquette. Remember that name. And uh, and Andrew Herdliska does all the uh, producing for us. And he is produced in this first segment, Derwin Gray, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church. But we're going to talk about his book, the new book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, What the Bible Says. And first Christians knew about racial reconciliation. Derwin, welcome to Orlando, Florida. I hope things are well with you. Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you. The only thing that could be better, Mr. Williams, is that if you invited me down to Orlando to catch some of those big, beautiful Orlando largemouth bass. (laughs) Well, listen, we've got the lakes all over this place down here, and almost they all have bass in them. So you come on down here, Derwin, and we'll take care of you. (laughs) Tell me about your new book. Why was it important to write it? Yeah, you know, this book was important for me to write. Uh, It was almost like a magnet. It it was something that God continued to draw me towards. So uh, I have the honor and privilege of being the co-founder, along with my wife of a church called Transformation Church. We are an intentionally centered church on Jesus, his gospel. We are a multi-ethnic church, and we have seen over the last 12 years that the blood of Jesus breaks down divides and unites people. And we've seen that lived out. And so I wanted to take what we had experienced here at Transformation Church, and I wanted to share that with other Christians, particularly Christians who love God and they see, okay, there is indeed a racial problem, but I don't know what to do. Am I going to say the wrong things? And, and, And what I wanted to do is I wanted to show people from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I'm, I'm not only a pastor, but I'm a New Testament scholar. And I wanted to take people back to the soil of the Middle East that Jesus and Paul walked and showed how the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection broke down these incredible divides that created this community that turned the Roman Empire on its ear. And the same Holy Spirit that was around then is around now, and so I'm inviting people into this incredible story of seeing Jesus 
more beautiful and bigger and more powerful than we ever thought. He doesn't just forgive our sins. He creates a family with different colored skins. And when we love each other, it testifies to the world that we are his disciples. Derwin, chapter 2 is called A Family for Abraham. Where does that fit in? Explain that chapter and why it's important. Yeah, you know, as uh, as Christians in the West, uh, we often forget about this, that if there was no Abraham, there would be no Jesus, there would be no nation of Israel, there would be no Messiah. So real quickly, in Genesis 11, God's people are basically building temples so false gods can come down, which I believe is the demonic world. And so God separates people by languages— And in Genesis 12, he calls a man by the name of Abram. He changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make you a mighty nation made up of all the people of the earth. So God is saying, my children have scattered, but I'm going to bring them back together again. And they're going to be in your family, Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel... And from the nation of Israel, the Jewish Messiah comes, Jesus. And so when Jesus comes, he lives a sinless life because we couldn't. He dies our death on the cross to forgive our sins. He raises again to now live his life through us so that he could give his father this multicolored, multinational family that God said he would give to Abraham. And so Abraham is like the glue that brings us together. In some of the pictures in the New Testament, uh, Jesus describes the table of Abraham where Gentiles from the East and the West will come. And Pat, you know, something beautiful happens around food, and there's something beautiful around ethnic food. And so Jesus wants us to appreciate ethnic people the way we appreciate ethnic food, because he's the bread of life, he's the living water, and at his table, we all have a reserved seat, because it's a table of grace for this new human race that has Jesus in the center of our hearts, and it's his blood, it's his life that unites us to be his multicolored people. Uh, Derwin Gray is our guest. Uh, pastor in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Uh, the book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Uh, Derwin, uh, third topic, explain Jesus, the barrier breaker and family maker. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, Jesus got into a lot of trouble for doing things like going to Samaria in John chapter 4. At the time of Jesus in the first century, Jewish people and Samaritan people had a 700-year ethnic and religious feud. In 722 B.C., the northern ten tribes of Israel were taken into captivity by the Gentile Babylonian Empire. And over the centuries, this whole new people group called the Gentiles or the Samaritans were created. And there was deep animosity and ethnic hatred between the groups. But yet Jesus in John 4, 4 says, I had to go through Samaria. And he meets a Samaritan woman at the well. First of all, a Jewish rabbi would never talk to a woman alone in public. And second of all, a Jewish rabbi or a Jew would not even be in Samaria because that was dangerous. But yet Jesus meets this woman with a checkered history, and he invites her to drink his living water. 
Eventually, she discovers that he's the Messiah, and she goes back into her hometown of Sychar with other Samaritans, and they come, and they believe in Jesus, and then they ask Jesus and his Jewish disciples to stay for three days. So here's the deal. There are ethnic and racial conflicts that we didn't cause that we're born into, but we're reborn again through the gospel to be bridges of grace to heal the divide. And what's beautiful about the Samaritan woman in her person is a Jew and a Gentile. Well, the church is to be a Jew and a Gentile in one body. The church is also called the bride of Christ. Well, the Samaritan woman is a woman. So the Samaritan woman is a picture of the multi-ethnic beauty of God's church and the love relationship that we have with Jesus as his bride. And then the Samaritan woman went on mission to let other people know, and that's why the church exists, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all ethnic groups. Our world is woefully divided, and it's the blood of Jesus that glues us together, but it takes courage to trust him. Just as Jesus kind of broke all the rules by going to Samaria, we too have to build relationships and go to the other side. Love is a risk, but when you risk it in the power of Jesus, it's a beautiful adventure. Derwin Gray is our guest. Derwin, tell us about uh, the birth of God's multi-ethnic family. What's that all about? Yeah, you know, one of the things that shocked the Roman Empire is they could not believe that Jewish people and Gentiles, Gentiles were everybody else. The Roman Empire was very ethnically diverse. People from all over the Roman world descended all over the Roman Empire. And there was a lot of blood, a bad blood and feuding. But in this area called Antioch, which is modern day Syria, something amazing happened. Jewish people and Gentile people went from being enemies to friends, from foes to family. What caused that? They had this common unity in Jesus that he not only forgave their sins, but he lovingly placed them in a family with people with different colored skins. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they begin to love each other. As a matter of fact, the first time Christians are called Christians is in Acts chapter 11, and it's in the city of Antioch. And the term Christian is used three times in the New Testament, but it's used as a derogatory term in Antioch because in the ancient world, one's ethnicity was not determined by the color of their skin, but by their religious practices. And so Jewish people believed that Jesus of Nazareth was Yahweh, so they couldn't be called Jews anymore. And Gentiles no longer worship false gods, so they couldn't be called pagans anymore. So the unbelieving world called them Christians because they were after Christ. So the term Christian actually describes a new ethnicity of people that's a collage of all the ethnicities of human beings. And when these people loved each other, that's what made Jews and Gentiles come to faith because they said Jesus had to have raised from the dead because there's no way that these enemies could now become family. Derwin Gray is our guest. Uh, we're talking about his book, 
which is an interesting one indeed, how to heal our racial divide. Uh, your next topic, Derwin, is Paul and the early church. Uh, what are you writing there? Yeah, you know, over the years, the Apostle Paul has become a really good friend of mine. Mm. And <laughs> what's what's so what I love about Paul is, you know, he grows up in Tarsus, which is the Mediterranean capital of the world, the intellectual capital of the world. He's what's called a diaspora Jew. He's a faithful Jew, but he grows up making tents with his dad. As a teenager, he goes to Jerusalem, studies under the great Rabbi Galileo, and he becomes zealous for the law, and he learns about this new movement, and he's arresting Christians, he's having them persecuted. But then one day, on his way to, on Damascus Road to go persecute Christians, he met Jesus, and Jesus knocked him off of his high horse. And that's when he discovered grace. And so all of a sudden, this nationalistic Jew who would have been against Gentiles is going around the Greco-Roman world building churches around Jesus where Jews and Gentiles are now family through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as a New Testament scholar, um, it is 100% accurate to say that the early church would have known nothing of, you know, churches for Jews and churches for Gentiles. It would have been churches for Jews and Gentiles. So the term church, ecclesia, meant people called out. So we're called out of darkness of sin, death, and evil and called into the light of God's kingdom, whether if you are a Jew or a Gentile, and what's beautiful in God's multi-ethnic family, according to Paul, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female. What that means is Jews are not better than Gentiles, and Gentiles are not better than Jews. We don't obliterate our ethnic distinctions. We celebrate them. Slave and free deals more with economics, because in the Roman world, 30% of the population were indentured servants or doulas. So it wasn't like American slavery. What Paul is saying is regardless if you're a billionaire CEO or a garbage man, you get treated equal in Christ. Male and female means that men and women are equal in Christ. And so this new family has one where ethnic supremacy, class supremacy, male-female equality are embraced because of the gospel. And so I wrote this book because there's a world that is hungry for love and truth. And Jesus has left us here to be those people and say, hey, we have the bread of life. Come and sit at this table of Abraham where you can meet Asian brothers and Latino brothers and sisters and white people and black people and all types of people because at God's table, all are welcome through the blood of Jesus. My guest is Derwin Gray. He's the Founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church in Charlotte, North in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, and we are talking about his book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide: What the Bible Says and the First Christians Knew About Racial Reconciliation. Uh, stay with us, uh, Derwin. We'll be right back. But I do want to remind you, my latest book is out. It's called Every Day Is Game Day. It's a 365-day uh, devotional, and every uh, devotion every day has a sports story or a sports anecdote, and then that segues into the devotional part. 
Uh, if you love sports, if you love the Lord, I think you're going to like this book. Every day is game day. So when you go up to Amazon to order Derwin Gray's book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, uh, go ahead and pick up a copy of uh, Every Day is Game Day. I think you'll be pleased. Uh, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. That's us. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word in Orlando will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. We're having a delightful chat with Derwin Gray talking about his book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Uh, your next chapter, Derwin, is called A Hole in Our Discipleship. Uh, what are you telling us there? Yeah, you know, um, so from a cultural context perspective, as American Christians for the last several hundred years, in our desire for people to come to faith, we've made only a vertical relationship with Jesus preeminent. So when you look at a cross, it has a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. And so a lot of times when we present the gospel, it's, okay, believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, which is 100% true. But not only are your sins forgiven, but you're put in a family. And so oftentimes when we present the gospel simply as, between me and God alone versus God connects me with himself so I can be connected with brothers and sisters, it can lead us to have a one-dimensional faith instead of a holistic faith. So, for example, the moment that Jesus rescued me as I expressed faith in him, I'm born again, I'm made new, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And then you know, your disciple, your mentor, and God transforms me, not just for me, but so that I can be a good brother in his family, so that I can be his ambassador in the world. And so what I'm saying is, is when Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's God's passionate plea for saving us. It's not simply to go to heaven when we die. It's to be the people of heaven on earth until Jesus returns. That's why Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, do on earth as it is in heaven. And so the God of heaven in Christ fills us with the Spirit, conforms us to the image of Jesus so that we can experience joy and love, but also so we can be his hands and his feet in the world. And God cares about justice. Think about it. Jesus fed people who were hungry. Jesus brought in people who were marginalized. Jesus ministered to the wealthy like Nicodemus. Jesus loves all people, regardless of ethnicity, class, whatever your sin is. He wants us to be a holistic people, being wholly present in the world. And so my book is calling us to a deeper, more beautiful, holistic faith. Sherwin, I want you to tell us about trust, the supremacy of Christ. Um, Tell us more. Yeah, you know, so since I'm talking to you, and um, uh, I was 
telling you off air that Shaquille O'Neal and I went to went to high school just a few miles apart, played in the All Star game together. He was in the basketball star game. I was in the football star game. Uh, one of the things that people will do is they will debate who's the best big man of all time. Who's the most dominant? Is it is it Shaq? And of course, I'm from San Antonio, so I'm going to say Shaq. You know, is it Kareem? Is it Wilt? And we have all like who is the most supreme? And sadly, we also do that with our ethnic origins. And what Jesus is saying is this. Because of my grace at the foot of the cross, it's equal, and all of us are in need of his love and mercy and blood. So therefore, white people are not better than Asians, and Latinos are not better than black people. No, when we're in Jesus, we're all clothed in Christ, and we see each other as equal image bearers in Christ. And so there's no room for ethnic bragging or boasting. The only thing we can boast in is Jesus is great, and I'm grateful for his grace. And then we begin to see each other the way God sees us. The way we say at Transformation Church, and as I write throughout the book, is this. Treat every human being like Jesus died for them. And Jesus loves the people that we don't like. Derwin Gray is our guest. We're talking about his book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Derwin, uh, here's an important chapter, Engage in Difficult Conversations. How do we go go about that? Yeah, so, you know, as a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, and I have people who politically would say, hey, we're Republican, even though they don't agree with everything that are Republican. And I've got people at a church say, hey, we're Democrat, but we don't believe everything that Democrat. We're, we're pro-life. Um, and so a lot of times we can have heated conversations and discussions. And at the bottom of why we have those conversations, it's rooted in fear that makes us insecure. And so what we do at Transformation Church and what I wrote about in the book is the four L's of having difficult conversations. Number one, you start with this. We are both loved by Jesus. Our security and our affirmation is found in Jesus, not political parties, not anything but him. Secondly, uh, we learn to listen. Not listen to give an answer, but listening to hear someone else's story. None of us can understand everything, but together we can understand a lot because we have mutual experiences. So we learn to listen to someone else's story, and then we learn about their story. For example, uh, my wife is from Montana. I grew up in San Antonio in a very poor area, and I had no idea that people in America lived on Native American reservations. And when we went to Montana, we would drive through Native American reservations, and my heart would just break to think of people who once, this was their land, and now they find themselves on reservations. And then I began to learn about the mental health challenges, the alcoholism, and how COVID ravaged Native American reservations. And I have a heart for Native Americans, so I wanted to learn about them. And so that moves to number four. So you got love, 
you got listen, you got learning. Number four is leverage. How do I leverage my life to help you? And so there are things that we try to do, bringing awareness to the mental health crisis on Native American reservations. So as a follower of Jesus, someone else's problem is my problem because we're the body of Christ. So think of it in these terms. In the Council of Eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit knew that humanity was going to bring sin into the world. Can you imagine if Jesus said, well... Holy Spirit, Dad, I'm not going because uh, sin is not my problem. That's their problem. No, Jesus went because love says, I'm going to be the solution to the problem, and he went to the cross. And so we as believers, regardless of ethnicity, if there is a problem or an injustice that affects black Americans, white Christians should care. If there's problems that affect Latinos, All Christians should care. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. And what I'm trying to propose through this book is deeply biblical, that when we care and love people who have problems that we don't have, the horizons of our soul is are expanded, and we become more sacrificial. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is sacrificial. Love looks like Jesus. Derwin, we've got about a minute um, explain to us in that minute, collectively mourn injustice. What can you tell us? Yes. Jesus said this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It's important for us to acknowledge, gosh, America is a great country and it has done so much good in the world. But like every country, there are some things that have not been so good in the world. And what happens in the past bears weight in the present. And so to mourn together means we look back and say, oh, man, Native Americans, we look back and we say, wow, women can vote. We look back and we look at segregation and slavery and we go, those were bad things. I didn't cause that. I benefited from that. But let's mourn that together and then lock arms in the name of Jesus to say, We're going to have a more just country, a more just society, a more just church, because our God is a God of love and justice. And we are the family of God, this beautifully multicolored family. It's the family that God promised Abraham. Derwin Gray, our guest, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. We have more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged into the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, Derwin Gray was our guest in that first segment uh, up in Charlotte, North Carolina, talking about his book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Well, we stay local. Kyle Winkler is here in the Orlando area. His book is out, Shut Up, Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. Kyle, uh, welcome to Orlando. Welcome to the show. We're glad to have you in town. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be able to talk to Jesus with my neighbors here in the city. Beautiful. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. What brought you to Orlando? I lived up in the Pensacola area for about 13 years before this. I've always loved Central Florida. Went to college in Palm Beach, so I love Central to South Florida. But there's a real Christian movement going on here as well. 
So I came here to kind of join that. And I tell you, I have no regrets. I absolutely love our town. Kyle, tell me about this book and why it was important for you to write it. Yeah, so Shut Up Devil really is a journey through my story, which after a decade in ministry or so, I learned is the story of so many other people. You know, so many of us were, were battling emotional and psychological and spiritual issues, mind games. And a lot of us Christians, at least I did, after after a decade of serious ministry, I was protesting to God, okay, I'm I'm feeling all of this stuff still that I was feeling even before I was a Christian. Why am I not experiencing this newness that that you say that I should be experiencing in your word? And so what God showed me through a process is that a lot of the insecurities and the anxieties and even the depression and spiritual attacks that I thought I was experiencing was rooted in lies that I had picked up as far back as potty training, literally. I mean, I believed for so many years that I just didn't belong. I felt like I was wrong. In school, I had a lot of various issues with making friends, and so I believed I was an outcast and a reject. And then, even as I got to know Jesus really personally, I took all of those issues from the past and how I had to relate with other people to find acceptance. I put it into my relationship with Him, thinking that there was so much I had to do in order to stay loved by Him, in order to stay good with Him, stay at peace with Him. So I had this this foundation of lies that really was resulting in so many of the toxic thought patterns that were creating the insecurity and anxieties in me that God led me through a journey, really, of deprogramming my mind from those lies with correct truth. So that really freed me to be able to do what I'm doing today and talk to so many people and write about the things that I write so openly. And as I've helped other people throughout ministry in that, I realized that it's not just me, but it's what so many other people are battling simply because they've taken lies as truth. Kyle, we got to cover these lies. There are 10 of them. Number one, you are still a horrible sinner. Uh, explain that. Yeah, so this lie is at the root of shame, which tells people that you are wrong, not just that you did wrong, but you are wrong. That's probably the heart of what I felt from little on, is that you're just somebody that is just plain wrong. And here's the thing, is that when you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says you have an identity change. In Romans, Paul talks about how your sinful nature, that thing that made you wrong initially before God, when you said yes to Jesus, that sinful nature was cut out of you. Literally, I like to say you were regened. That's kind of the theological term is regeneration, or the old becoming new, the wrong becoming right. Well, in that word is regened. You were literally given the DNA of God. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus, who knew no sin, took on your sin. He took on your wrongness so that you would become his righteousness, his rightness. So anybody who said yes to Jesus is not still identified by the wrongness of their sin. They are now identified by the rightness of Jesus. And so understanding that Christ writes you despite you, 
You can have wrong symptoms but still be right. You can have wrong memories but still be right. You can have wrong feelings but still be right. That right there will undo a lifetime of feeling wrong. It did for me. Now let's get to the second lie. God is punishing you. (laughs) Yeah. I heard this one all growing up, especially in a religious school, that the teachers would threaten us with, you better watch out, you better behave right, otherwise God's going to get you back. And a lot of people, as they'll write into the ministry that I have, they'll say things like, my finances are hurting, my health is hurting, what did I do wrong? So there is this idea in so many people's minds that their afflictions and their battles are because God is out to get them. But once again, the very heart of the gospel is that Jesus took on the punishment that sin deserved. He took it on himself. And the truth that I really use to combat this this lie that God is out to get you comes from 2 Corinthians 5.19. It says, for God was in Christ. It's talking about the crucifixion. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So somebody who's listening, who's believing that you are being punished by God, I have to take you back to the cross, to the moment where Jesus took all of God's punishment on himself so that you don't have to be punished. God wrote about that that future grace of the cross all the way back in Isaiah where he said, I will not always be angry at my people. So if you've said yes to Jesus, you have to hear God took on, Jesus took on that punishment. Your sins are no longer being counted against you. You are made new and made right. God is not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood about you. He absolutely loves you. Kyle Winkler is our guest. His book, Shut Up, Devil. Uh, Here's line number three, Kyle. You are unlovable. Yeah. A lot of people, we feel that something about us, something from our past, maybe even something from our present, makes us not only unlovable by people, but what is most toxic is unlovable to God. But God's love is unconditional. That that means exactly what it says. There's nothing hidden in that. It is without conditions. The Bible says that God is love. It's not a quality that he can turn on or off or that he's kind of weighing your good works versus your bad works to determine if you're worthy of love today. No, because God is love, it's something that he just automatically does. It's the very reason he pursued you even before you were a Christian. The Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So Christians need to understand that if, if Jesus died for us even while we were still sinners, how much more? Does he love us now? And Paul says in Romans 8, 38, that we can't even comprehend the love of God, that nothing can separate us from God's love. And I like to say that means no person, no past, no body, no battle, no sin, no struggle, nothing. You are unconditionally loved by God, despite whatever you think is unlovely about you. Now, Kyle, we're at lie number four. You cannot be forgiven. Yeah. I have people who write into me all the time, and they'll give me some sort of thing that they did in their life. 
that they think disqualifies them from being forgiven. But, I mean, really the truth that we talked about in the last slide about being unconditionally loved means that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which demonstrates itself through forgiveness. But I love what 1 Corinthians 6.11 says. It lists right before these, right before that verse, all of these various identities that people before Christ have and the sins that come out of them, things that really affect all of us in one way or another. But then it says, I, I call it the big butt of the Bible. It says, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says are. Not just were, but you are. That means something that happened in the past, but stays true now and in the future. That means you are presently washed and cleaned, and you're presently made right with God. So when the devil comes and he tries to say, but you sin, but you fail, but you feel, but, 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 you've got to shake the bigger but, the but you have in Christ, at the devil and say, but I am washed, but I am sanctified, but I am justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll shut down the devil's accusations with a reminder of God's forgiveness that was applied to you the moment you said yes to Jesus and stays that way forever. Now we move on to lie number five. You should be afraid. Probably the enemy's greatest trick when it comes to fear is to get us to imagine a present or a future that God is not in. We start to look at our futures and the challenges that are up ahead. We start to look at the things going around us, or we look at what our spreadsheets show. And the enemy wants to get us to base what we do and base our feelings all upon the numbers and all upon the obstacles and all upon the giants in the way. When the truth, the cure to fear that God gives all throughout the Bible, Deuteronomy 31.8 says it. He says, do not be afraid for the Lord your God goes before you. The cure to fear really is to remember that God is here and not only here, but he's up ahead of you. He's beside you. He's inside you. And he's, even behind you, the Bible says. I remember some years ago I was facing something that I was just scared to do, and I didn't know how it was going to work out and what were going to people think whenever, you know, I did this. And as fears popped into my mind, I personalized that truth, which is what I teach you to do in the book. I personalized that truth that God is here even in the places that I fear. So if you are afraid of something right now, you got to know what changes everything regardless of what your spreadsheet shows or what's ahead, what changes everything is the greater reality that God is with you. He's dealing with the issue right now up ahead, so it's ready for when you get there. And even if it doesn't change, His grace will be with you when you get there to get you through, just as it always had. Truly, you don't need to be afraid. Now, Kyle Winkler is our guest. The name of his book is Shut Up, Devil. Lie number six, <clears throat> you do not belong. Yeah, so as I said, this is the one that I fell all the way back to potty training. 
that I just don't belong. And the devil would show me usually things related to my own uniqueness, my personality. I'm a natural introvert, for example, and for years I thought that I just didn't fit in as being a preacher. I saw everybody was extroverted, and everybody were these comedian preachers, and you have to really just love small talk with people. And so the enemy will will point out all of these things about you in comparison to other people and say, hey, you're not like them, you're not like that, therefore you don't belong. But the truth of the matter is, is we are all created in God's image, and inside of God's image is a variety of uniqueness that represents something about Him, that represents something about His heart that only you can do. So you have to remember, when the enemy comes to try to tell you that you don't belong because of this or that in your life, that God chose you and molded you not to fit a mold. You are not the product of some random chance, but you are the outcome of God's choosing the result of his steady hand. And he made you the way he made you so that you can do something that somebody else can't do. So I tell you, don't hide the things that make you unique, but actually maximize them. God gave them to you for a reason. My guest is Kyle <coughs> Kyle Winkler. <coughs> Excuse me, Kyle. <coughs> and when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about the last four lies. You need to be like somebody else. You have no purpose. You are a failure. You are disqualified. Uh, Kyle Winkler will explain them to us when he comes back. Kyle is here in Orlando, and we're talking about his book, Shut Up, Devil. Uh, I'm Pat Williams, and you are listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and we're always so very happy when you join us. And you're plugged in to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Back with Kyle Winkler right after these messages. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Kyle Winkler is with us. He's here in Orlando. We're talking about his book, Shut Up, Devil. And Kyle, as I mentioned before the break, lie number seven, you need to be like somebody else. What's that all about? Yeah, don't we all feel that, especially in this social media days where the highlights of everybody's life seems to be under our noses as we're scrolling through. <laughs> and therefore, we're always comparing ourselves to their lifestyle and their experiences and their opportunities. And so therefore we feel like we are not enough as we are, who we are, where we are. And often we strive and we strive and strive to try to keep up with the Joneses as that old saying goes. And one of the problems is, is in our definition of success, I talk about it in the book, you know, for years success was defined as the outcome of a specific calling. But now a new definition of success has popped up in the dictionary, and it is the attainment of popularity or profit. Well, if that is our definition of what's successful is popularity or profit, then that's the reason why we're trying to compete with everybody else. But if our definition is what the true definition is, is the, the outcome of a certain calling, 
And we will know that we are all uniquely called to something, and God has uniquely graced us to achieve that unique call. Therefore, we don't have to compare ourselves because He has given us what we need to do, something that only we can do. So I like to say we are all part of a body of Christ. We all have unique features, and success really is not in competing with each other, but it's in knowing our place in the body of Christ and using our place to complement each other. You don't need to be somebody else. Somebody needs to hear me listening to this. I'm saying this right to you. You don't need to be somebody else to be successful. You are already successful being the unique person that you are in Christ using the gifts that he's given you. Kyle, uh, lie number eight, you have no purpose. Uh, What are you writing there? A lot of people battling with this idea these days that in order to be somebody, that they have to achieve something epic. You know, they, they relate writing a bestseller or singing a song that's heard by millions or being on a big platform, doing something huge as, as having purpose. But God has given us purpose. As I've been saying really throughout these last two lives, all these lives kind of build on each other. God has given each of us a unique purpose that doesn't have to be epic, that fits a need right in your world, right where you are, as you are. It could be being a consistent witness to your coworker at the office. It could be raising a family. It might not be in the money you make, but it might be in the memories you make. So what I do throughout that chapter is really show people the ingredients of purpose, how to really look into their lives and see what God has already given them. And some of those things might not even appear until later, but look at your passions and look at the gifts that you have. We all have different things and figure out how to use those to impact the world you're in right now, not to wish for a better day, not to wish for a different day, not to be desperate to get to tomorrow, but to learn how to be content on the way to where you're going, to take steps of purpose, not to purpose. Now, Kyle, tell us about lie number nine. You are a failure. Yeah. So the enemy wants to try to give or to get us rather to attain peace with God, to attain acceptance with God by what we do. You remember at the beginning of this broadcast, I was talking about all of these things that I was trying to do to stay right with God. Ultimately, I thought my performance and my perfection was the key to living the Christian life, when really it's not about perfection, it's about being forgiven. What the enemy wants to do is anytime you make a mistake, anytime you don't measure up, it's to link your who with your do and to say, you messed up here. You didn't achieve this. Therefore, you are a failure to link yourself with that identity of failure. Because what do you do when you believe that's who you are? You continue to act and react out of who you believe you are. So rather than believe you are a failure, believe I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that I am loved unconditionally, that 
even in my mistakes, the Bible says that God will use those things that maybe were even meant for my harm, and he will some way, somehow turn them into to something good. So don't focus. If you focus on trying to be perfect, you will fall all the more from the pressure of trying to achieve something that's impossible to achieve. Don't try to be perfect. Just live in the grace and the unconditional love of God, and then you will more naturally achieve and do what God has called you to achieve and do. Kyle Winkler, lie number 10. You are disqualified. Boy, this is probably the one that, especially as I started out in ministry, really was whispered into my mind. The enemy will use all the evidence, things that we've talked about in this interview already, of your personality, your failures, the ways that make you unique. It doesn't matter. All kinds of things to try to tell you why you are not good enough, ready enough, not right enough to be used by God to do whatever it is God has called you to to achieve that dream. And I'm here to tell you today that being used by God is not about feeling like you are enough of anything, but it's actually about surrendering those things, surrendering those inadequacies, surrendering those failures that we just talked about, those weaknesses. Just like Gideon did, I write about Gideon's story in this last chapter of the book. Just like Gideon did when God called him. He was in the middle of hiding. He was in the middle of being weak. And God called him and said, I want you to lead my people to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon's like, who am I to do that? I'm the weakest of my tribe. Basically, he said, I'm disqualified. Moses said the same thing. I have a speech problem. I can't lead your people. I can't even talk. God didn't care. God didn't need them to be perfect. He didn't even need them to iron out their weakness. He just needed them to go and rely on his strength and their weakness. And to you who are listening today, God has put a dream in your heart. He's put a a plan in your mind, you don't have to wait to be ready enough to do it. You just have to surrender to the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Use my weakness, use my inadequacies, use my failures, and do something with it, and I'm telling you, He will. And you don't have to, you don't have to be qualified enough for that. You just have to surrender it to Him and watch what God will do. Kyle, when the devil starts messing with your mind and planting thoughts in there that are, that according to Philippians 4, 8 are not true and not honest and not lovely and all of those other attributes, what, what's our next step? What do we do? Your next step is to call to mind the love and the grace of Christ that has made you right. And you call to mind all of the great things that God has said about you. You know, I've got an app called the Shut Up Devil app. It goes with this book, and it puts all of these truths related to who you are and what you have in Christ to combat various issues, all based upon the truth that because of Jesus, you don't have to earn anything before God. You don't have to prove anything to God. You just have to renew your mind to who you are and what he says that you have unconditionally loved, made right, made new in Christ. When the devil comes to to tell you you aren't any of those things, to tell you, look what you've done, you aren't this or that, you need to do this or that, no, you say, shut up, devil. He who knew no sin took on my sin. 
I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am made new in Christ. And that's really, that's really the extent. You know, I, I went for years thinking that there was more to do and there was more to achieve and went through all of these curriculums and all of these programs to try to fix myself when the truth is it was all rooted in these lies that I had picked up all along the way. And when I learned how to confront those lies with strategic truth, things that we just went through, things that I talk about in the book, that's what really shut the enemy's attacks down from getting into me to influencing me. Kyle Winkler has been our guest. Folks, we got to wrap up here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word, we will be right back. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've had an interesting hour, first of all, with Derwin Gray uh, up in Charlotte telling us about uh, how to heal our racial divide, what the Bible says, and the first Christians knew about racial reconciliation. And then Kyle Winkler, who is right here in town, uh, he talked to us about his book, Shut Up, Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. And I've got a new book out. <clears throat> it's a, a devotional, <clears throat> 365 pages. <clears throat> Each devotional has a sports theme and then uh, moves into the um, the devotional part. I think you'll enjoy it. Every day is game day. I did it with my friend Mark Atterbury, and uh, the book is out now. And you go up to Amazon, and you'll be pleased. Well, we're, we're, <clears throat> we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long, all week long, all year long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, <clears throat> the word in Orlando. Uh, we will see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.